Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our privilege to welcome you to the program, and we encourage you to stay with us because we have a wonderful study prepared today, Meekness in the Crucible. I would like to welcome our panel, and I will say hello and welcome back, Len. Yes, hello, listeners. Uh, it's nice to be back after a break of nearly two months. Will, it's good to have you with us too. Lovely topic today, Nick, and I think it will be challenging for us all. Indeed. Jerry, it's good to have you part of this. It's a privilege to be here again, Nick. Looking forward to Brenton, thank you for joining us from Southeast. Nick, it's a privilege to be on, and we're, we're really looking forward to sharing this um, subject, meekness in the crucible. Thank you so much also, Brenton, for putting together this uh, study, and I'm going to ask you to please take us through. Certainly. I want to start with a statement. Um, the statement says this, meekness is a precious grace, willing to suffer silently, willing to endure trials, Meekness is always thankful and makes its own songs of happiness, making melody in the heart to God. Meekness will suffer disappointment and wrong and will not retaliate. The subject we're going to discuss today obviously is the subject of meekness. Now, meekness is not generally considered in our postmodern society to be a particularly desirable characteristic. But uh, I believe in the eyes of heaven, it's an extremely um, valuable and important characteristic. Some of the things that uh, cross my mind when I'm thinking of the subject of meekness is, does meekness mean weakness? Does it mean being subservient or even a doormat to others? And we're going to have a look in our study today at the example of Ezekiel, Moses, David and Jesus. Uh, in regard to this matter, is a willingness to serve and a willingness to subordinate the use of power you may possess for the greater good of others part of what it is to be meek? In other words, if you have the power to change circumstances, but um, it is desirable that meekness be demonstrated both in leadership and in uh, serving others, is it desirable to put that power away in order that you may serve for the greatest good of those around about you. I've also put, can the word of God give us counsel on this matter? After all, it was Jesus who said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth in Matthew 5, 5. How did Jesus exhibit true meekness in his life? And we'll touch on that as we get through the study. And how is meekness in the crucible vitally important today? Before we begin, Jerry, I wondered if you would uh, lead us in prayer because it's most important that we have the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our study today. Yes, certainly. Lord, help us to understand what biblical meekness is. In this world, we are told that to be successful in life, we have to do whatever it takes to reach our goals. Yes. Often we are forced to compete with others to achieve what we want. Humility and meekness is seen as weakness rather than strength. And, um, and an obstacle to realizing our full potential. Help us learn from the examples in scripture and especially in the life of Jesus, what meekness as God sees it really is. And help us to be transformed in our thinking by the power of your Holy Spirit to reflect true meekness mm. as a way of life. 
that is modelled on the life of our Saviour. Lord, we want to ask a blessing upon the listeners and upon the time we have now to spend together. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Jerry. The first person that we're going to have a look at is a guy by the name of Ezekiel. He's known as the prophet to the exiles. In other words, those who'd already been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. We find the the story, our first discussion point in Ezekiel 24 from verses 15 through to verse 27. Len, I wonder if you could um, either summarise or give us an overview of what's taking place here and some comments on uh, why is God allowing Ezekiel to go through such a difficult situation. Ezekiel is one of the prophets that God sent to um, bring the Israelite nation who had largely abandoned him back to him. And if you read the second part of the Old Testament, the section of the Minor Prophets, including Ezekiel, mm-hmm. you'll see how time and time again God was calling the people back to him. Uh, God's pleas were largely ignored. Now, we have here in Ezekiel a prophecy uh, with an example about what was going to happen to the nation of Israel. And if you read Ezekiel 24, verse 1, you can read that God says to Ezekiel to mark this particular day. It was in the ninth year, in the tenth month, in the tenth day. And he said, disaster is going to come upon the people in a different way. All right, that's the um, setting. And then in Ezekiel 24, verse 15, Ezekiel writes, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, with one blow, I'm about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. So what was the delight of Ezekiel's eyes? Well, it turns out it was his wife. Ezekiel was proud of his wife. She must have been beautiful. She must have been a very nice woman. And the Lord says, I'm going to take this away from you, that which you've been proud of. Okay, so this occurred. And Ezekiel was told not to weep and not to lament. But this was all a lesson to be given to the people. The second part of this chapter talks about where Ezekiel was going to uh, or had to make a prophecy to the people and tell them the thing that they were proud in. Although they were involved in idol worship, they were very proud of the temple. And this was uh, if they had a visitor in their land one of the first things that the visitor would be shown would be the temple because the people were proud of it. Yes. Now I'm going to read to you now chapter 24, verse 25. And you, son of man, on the day away, the day I take away their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes, their heart's desire, and their sons and daughters as well, <clears throat> and this must have come like a uh, 
a terrible shock to the people that God yes. was going to take away the thing of which they were very proud. Mm. Why? Because the people were proud in the wrong things. And it says later on, the last verse or part of the last verse says, so you, Ezekiel losing his wife, you will be assigned to them and they will know that I am the Lord. There's a lesson here for us in these days. We can be proud of some of our things. You might be proud of your house, your car, your garden, your educational achievements, your children. But um, the lesson here is the thing that we should be proud of is our God. And therefore, well, I suppose I should really say not proud of, but the thing that we, we should hold in the greatest respect in our lives is mm -hmm. God, not things and other people. Yep. So here is this lesson for, was a lesson for the people of that time, and it's a lesson for us today that we should be meek about our possessions and our achievements, etc., etc., and that we should glory in our God. Thank you, Len. Um, that summarised that very well. Um, panel, is there any, any other thoughts on this? Uh, Len has touched on it fairly well. You know that I am the Lord. Can you think of any other texts in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, that talk along the particular line that Len has just um, mentioned to us? Isn't there a text that says, let not the rich glory in their riches, but let them glory in this, that they know I, I am the Lord? So what, what is the, through this terrible tragedy, and I think it's a, a truly a terrible tragedy that he suffered. Now, was his wife sick? We don't know. Did God deliberately strike her down? I don't believe so. Mm -hmm. uh, she may have already been sick and she may have been going to die anyway, but this enacted parable, if, if you will, uh, must have absolutely rocked not only Ezekiel. Any thoughts on that? I think the story in general um, is well capsulated by a reformed pastor, Calvinist pastor, Scott Hosee. He says that the people had turned away from God. Their worship had become as hollow as an empty rain barrel. Yep. <laughs> their, <laughs> like their society had become corrupt and unjust. The poor were exploited or ignored. Widows and orphans were shunted aside as being of no value to the economy. Maybe they still honoured Yahweh, but they had no trouble grandfathering in some pagan beliefs. So God has had enough. He has turned away from Jerusalem, hightailing it, as it says, up the mountain to the east of the city, as Ezekiel predicted in chapter 11. God hated the people's pop theology of anything goes, immorality, and... Uh, and loosed religious tra traditions. So he was through. The temple was uh, desecrated without God living in the temple. The Holy of Holies was no longer holy. Solomon's temple had become just another profane ed edifice. Yes. Having no more significance than any other building. In fact, he says Jerusalem was going down the tubes. And when it did, 
the people were not to mourn. And that's the key point. It was their own fault. They are getting what they deserve. They had better not lament these losses to God because he doesn't want to hear about it. God's own holiness left him no choice but to flee Jerusalem. I think that's well put. And it's very well put. It's, it's a hard lesson to learn. It's not that God doesn't care, but he does this dramatic thing, drastic thing, for the good of his people, that they might know that he is the Lord. Very interesting, this particular one. I, I, I struggled with this a bit myself when um, we, I was looking at this particular example. There was a companion example, in a, in a way, back in the book of Leviticus, uh, where Nadab and Abihu are destroyed by God when they go into the temple with strange fire. And Moses says to his brother, you are not to mourn for them publicly. You are not to show any grief in any external way. You were to go about your business as the high priest, which must have been very, very difficult, having just lost his two sons. These two boys had actually been on Mount Sinai with God. They had actually seen God's glory. There was many things that they had done. But then you could transpose that to what's happening here in Ezekiel. Mm. If the people prior to this had looked back through their history and seen the way that God had led them right through, uh, Len, you had a thought for us. Thanks. Yes, it's interesting that God said, yes, you mustn't mourn and you mustn't show any signs of mourning. Yes. Mm. And I think you said it very well, and I'd like to pick up on this point. Sure. Because it was their own fault. Now, with regard to Ezekiel's wife, I think it perhaps is a little bit different. He had good yes. reason to mourn. But as with regard to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, the people had no good reason to mourn because it was their own actions that brought about God's unwillingness to uh, destroy the temple in order to try to save the people. Good thought, uh, Lynn. And anybody else on that one? What I would like to mention also is that um, I believe today's uh, Bible study is to learn also how to to place ourselves in regard to the meekness in the in the crucible, not only as an individual, but also as a uh, group, if you like, even as yes. a family, as yeah. a church. Yeah. In mm -hmm. this case, Israel. Uh, was um, representing God as a nation. And um, the reason I'm bringing up this point is because sometimes we can have excuses or even motives, let's say not to be meek <laughs> or, or use other words uh, was the mm. opposite of meekness. Yes. But the lesson here for us as Christians, I would like to put that one in the, in the picture, is to understand that we are a testimony. We are a light, if you like, for mm. other people around us. And yes. God is expecting us to behave differently. Even if we're going through some other things, because mm. we have, we have a closer relationship with God and we know in whom we trust. 
And we cannot afford to act or react like anybody else, like that just out of the blue. I think this is a very important point here where which God is m- making through the story of Ezekiel and, um, you know, uh, the terrible yes. thing happening there. Mm. Very important to me. And I hope that for everyone there is that if you are declaring, if you are a, a child of God, you are a, a Christian, then you have a responsibility in your behavior. Mm. Yeah. Good thought, Nick. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Is meekness something that is learned? Any thoughts on that one? Len? Yes, I, I think meekness is an attitude. And I think it takes time to learn it. Um, sometimes we act rashly and then we discover that um, we've done wrong, hurt somebody. Yes. So I think uh, we do learn meekness through the various experiences in life. And I think we also learn meekness in examples of other people and we're talking about some of these examples today. We're going to be talking about Moses and Jesus. Yes. Exhibited meekness. And we see what other people do and we can learn from them. Yeah. Just like uh, kids learn violence from violent parents and also violent programs that they might yes. see on television. Yes. I believe meekness is a learned attitude. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Jerry. I think uh, meekness is also part of the uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as such, it, uh, it has a, um, uh, a godly origin. If, if we try to fabricate our own meekness, so to speak, then sooner or later, somebody's going to step on your toes or say something or do something. And, you lose your meekness, you know what I mean? If it's artificial, whereas the meekness from a biblical perspective is genuine and it's, it's, it, you, it becomes part of who you are. It stays yeah. with you. And, yeah. uh, and I think that that's the big difference. That's a good thought. Is meekness only ever learned in adverse circumstances? Should meekness also be learned when things are going well? or when circumstances are good, because that almost seems to be, what's the word I'm looking for, that almost seems to be an opposite uh, to one another. Moses is the next um, person that we're going to look at in our study. Um, Did Ezekiel, first of all, demonstrate meekness in this ordeal? I think he did. I mean, can you imagine losing your wife, the one dearest to you in life, and you're told not to mourn, not to take the food that you would normally take at a funeral, not to take any of the things, not to do or take any of the things that normally you would do to show your grief. Just go about your business. And at the appropriate time, uh, when someone starts asking you questions, then you can tell them what's going on. But meanwhile, just be quiet. Same with Aaron. Aaron went about his responsibilities Can you imagine? They had to drag the bodies out of the temple. They actually appointed a couple of guys to take Nadab and Abihu out of the the camp. And Aaron's going about his duties as a high priest at the same time. I think God is trying to get through to these people the seriousness of their situation, that judgment has come. 
um, I'm removing everything that you've placed your false confidence in. I've removed all of that. And I'm judging you because you have consistently, and as Len said, you can only blame yourselves. We live in a very society where there's a lot of narcissism. One of the characteristics of narcissism is self-pity and the ability to be able to change from being the aggressor to the victim. And a lot of that is uh, happens in society today. And I think um, God is trying to get across to these guys, I have given you numerous opportunities to repent. You've chosen not to repent. Now I'm going to judge you. But we're moving over to another situation, which is actually similar in some regards. It's the story of the um, golden calf that was made by none other than Aaron. Jerry, I wondered if you'd share with us Exodus 32, verse 30 to 34, because this is the aftermath of um, the golden calf experience and where God basically says to um, Moses, I've had enough of these people. And yeah, indeed. Yeah, perhaps if we go back to verse 10 of chapter 32, as sure. you mentioned, the, the golden calf episode where um, God is obviously aware of what's going on and he says to uh, to Moses, now therefore, this is verse 10, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Do you think that would have been tempting? <laughs> well, I asked myself that question. I mean, imagine imagine Moses thinking, well, actually, yes, I agree with you, Lord. They deserve it. You know, God had been so merciful to them. And, and considering what had just happened, and um, previously, I mean, just getting them out of Egypt, mm. freeing them as slaves, uh, do, performing mighty acts uh, for them, and... Uh, no sooner have they arrived there and they go off the rails again. So, exactly. Um, you know, and, and by the way, just thinking of Moses here in his response, then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So you can almost hear him thinking, well, it doesn't really make sense to, to wipe them out, Lord, because, you know, think of all that you've just done. They've been unfaithful, but your intention is to to free them to to you know to to make them a great nation and what what are all the other nations going to say if mm. you know no sooner have you brought them out of slavery and then you're going to destroy them it doesn't seem to make sense but yes. um and by the way i think uh, this also shows how moses has changed he wasn't this he wasn't as meek as he is here in the first 80 years of his life so to speak um you know, his his time in in, um, in Midian was a time where God was able to mould him and change him, and uh, you know, probably bring out that 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 meekness that he may have had a little bit, but certainly he he uh, he, he definitely changed a lot. Moses wasn't the same man that he was forty years prior, so True. he became meek. And uh, but his answer is quite telling, isn't it? If you go then to verses thirty to thirty-four. Uh, we read, um, now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Amazing, isn't it? He, his love for the people is such that, um, and it goes on to say that uh, then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and you have and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, 
I pray, blot me out of your wow. book, which oh. you have written. That's that's astonishing, isn't it? So absolutely. Mm-hmm. What love he must have had for the for his, for his people. Um, and I asked myself, how would I? What would I have said? What would I have done? Would I have been willing to have my name blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life for somebody else? Yeah, um, that's that's the ultimate sacrifice, isn't it, from a human yeah, perspective? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's amazing too that uh, in verse thirty-three it goes on to say, "And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book." There's quite a teaching in that as well, isn't there? We are individually responsible to God. Mm. Mm. But, um, yeah. Now, therefore, uh, closing with thirty-four. Now, therefore, go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So, but I think what we can take out of this, the character of Moses is so meek and, and, uh, Kind hearted. I mean, he is, he is controlled by the spirit of the Lord here. He, he, he puts himself way out of the picture yes, and yes. he's even prepared to have his name blotted out yeah. of the picture yeah. Yeah. Um, and we need to ask ourselves how, how, how far am I along that trajectory <laughs> uh, that's a very good point Len you had a thought for us on this one yes I think Moses demonstrates something that I wanted to say before sure that meekness <clears throat> is a form of unselfishness mm-hmm. and I think lack of meekness is a form of selfishness and Moses put the people first and himself last Mm -hmm. which is definitely unselfish so if we keep in mind that meekness is a form of unselfishness I think it helps us a little bit because sometimes we get the idea that meekness is um, a weakness of character, but it certainly isn't. I mean, Moses demonstrates this very much, that he wasn't a weak person at all, but he put himself last in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if I could just uh, add there, is that, um, you know, meekness reflects that relationship with God. Mm-hmm. That close relationship with God, because so it was mentioned here that sometimes you can show that, and people can fake um, certain uh, attributes of the of the character, you know. But if you come across some particular things, you'll see the true color, and uh, you may uh, heard this or know that so many saints of this world they are just framed, you know frame the arrow, uh, but if you come across them in the case of Moses, then they can show the true color. Mm-hmm. And that's what I believe uh, this is very important to, to see that it's a process of transformation as you know God, as you experience yes. in your life the work of the Holy Spirit and to be transformed. Moses said those words his name to be bloated out of the book of life. You know, a thought came in my mind. Now, I may be wrong on this, but I believe Moses knew how close a relationship he has with God. I mean, he was the one 
who ask boldly to see God. Yes. You know, and communicate face to face to God. He knew what sort of relationship he has with God. And I believe he was very bold to intercede for, for the people. Because it's, it's a, it's a different thing when you, when you have an intercessory approach. Yes. You cannot intercess for somebody if you don't have a relationship with God because you don't have even that faith. Yes. But if you have a, a strong relationship, then you can intercede and you may expect even that. You may expect, he says, God will, will listen. God yeah. will listen to, uh, to my request because that's actually the point of interceding for mm. other people that you believe that God will hear. God will listen. And mm. I believe this is amazing to see that we as humans, we can play a, such an important role, not only in the life, in our personal uh, experience with God, but in the life of others. Yes. In the life of others, we can play such an important role if we have a stronger relationship with God. And that meekness, when we show that meekness, that's not something which Jerry, I think, uh, said a bit earlier that yes, he um, did. You, you just put a face of it. And if you come across difficulties, that will just fall apart. No, that meekness will be something very special will come in, in place at the right time to really mm. encourage other people and strengthen those people who yeah. may have a, um, a lack of faith yeah. in yeah. their journey. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Um, I think Moses was, as Jerry said, uh, during the 40 years that um, he was in Midian, he certainly learned meekness. I think what's important is that Numbers tells us that Moses was the meekest man on all the earth. Now, some of you may be aware who wrote the book of Numbers. It was Moses. Now, normally speaking, if you're right, making this comment about yourself, you would say that this guy is really, really deluding himself a bit, but it was actually true. And we've just touched on one example. There are numerous, numerous examples on the wilderness experience from the time they left Egypt till the time they arrived on the borders the promised land where Moses interceded for them. Mm. Numerous examples. Brenton, just on, on that one. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I think you raise up a very interesting uh, thought. How amazing is that in the Bible, it's recorded about Moses, that he was the meekest uh, man on earth. But that didn't say he was the meekest man of on earth for the last 40 years or uh, the last 60 years or yeah, why yeah. is not why is not saying that i believe this is a very important thing because god says in the bible if we come to him if we turn to god if god will never remember our mm. weakness part of our life because we'll be transformed and that's the thing we cannot afford to be a little bit meek and a little bit, or sometimes meek, sometimes not meek. If we right. are, if we are transformed, if we are mm-hmm. under the the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that that will be the process mm-hmm. which Moses. Now Moses, in time, he showed few weaknesses also. Oh yes, but yes. that didn't take away the meekness because when he was uh, he came to the point, like in this case, to intercede for the people of God, he didn't consider himself 
looking at, at himself as a selfish man, he considered that it's better even him to be taken out uh, mm. if mm. Uh, if that's mm. the case. Yeah, I, I believe this is very again uh, a good it's, lesson it's a good for point, us to yeah. learn yeah. Mm. to learn that God is promising us, come walk with me, and you'll be a different man. Yeah, mm. good good point, Nick. Yes, we. <laughs> We could uh, learn a lot from uh, Moses and the experience that he had there. Um, we're moving on to our next example. So far, we've looked at Ezekiel in some detail. We've looked at Moses also in some detail. Now we come to a statement that many people have found interesting, and uh, I think all of us probably find it a bit difficult at times. Will, you're going to share with us something from the Beatitudes from Matthew 5, 43 to 48. I don't mind whether you read it or summarise it, whatever you're comfortable with, but it, it starts out by quoting a statement from Leviticus 19, verse 18. So I wondered if you could just share this with us because our ultimate uh, role model, if you will, um, or mentor in the subject of meekness, surely is Jesus Christ. So let's have a bit of a look at that. Thanks. Well, reflecting on what Moses uh, had done, Moses must have loved the people. He must have. Despite their wayward ways. I mean, to offer, to intercede his life and eternal reward for the sake of these people uh, it seems incredible to us. And yet, it's in the very spirit that uh, in this very spirit that Christ exhorts us, he tells us to love our enemies. Yes, those undeserving people that we should, uh, we would so easily shun. He says on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Uh, are not even the tax collectors doing that? <laughs> True. <laughs> and, if, uh, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your father in heaven is perfect. I'd like to refer to um, one more text, if I may. First John 4, verse sure. 19 to 21. It says that it gives the secret of it all. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are there any other examples um, that we can think of in the Gospels before we have a look at Christ's um, meekness as demonstrated around the time of his betrayal, trial and crucifixion? Can we think of any examples? Remember what you read, Will, said uh, you were to love your neighbour as yourself and hate your enemy. Now, Leviticus 19.18 does not state hate your enemy. It says to love your neighbour as yourself. 
And the Jews went through a whole rigmarole of trying in the time of Christ to determine who their neighbour actually was. Mm. And um, there is a story that we all know well <laughs> from that time that should illustrate that point. Who would like to share with us briefly the story? Jerry, can you think of a story where loving your enemy was actually demonstrated very clearly? Mm. Well, the, the story of the Good Samaritan brings that out uh, perfectly, doesn't it? Where um, the Samaritans uh, were um, considered enemies, I guess, uh, unworthy of our they notice. Mm. And, um, and of course, in that uh, particular uh, story, it's um, the Samaritan who shows mercy and goodness and kindness mm. and, uh, and picks up the, the, the wounded man and takes care of him, makes sure he's okay, pays for his, for his uh, treatment and, uh, it goes the, the you know the uh, the extra mile if you like. That is a godly thing. Mm. Mm. It's a uh, and and will you you uh, read those verses? Uh, you know, loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, doing good to those who hate you, praying for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Humanly speaking, that's not normal. That's not normal for us. That's no. that's not in our nature to do. No. No. Uh, so we can only do these things if we are born of the spirit if if the spirit of god lives in us uh and it shows you what sort of transformation is required um jesus himself said in his uh, discourse with uh, with nicodemus unless you're born of the spirit yeah. you Why can't enter the, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven, of heaven. Mm. so it's a big ask but uh not that we we don't do that uh, all we have to do is invite god to into our hearts and, and do that work. We can't do a thing yeah. by ourselves. Mm. But if we allow God, if we don't resist, he will make that change in us and prepare us for life in the spirit. And uh, it is an absolute essential thing to have to undergo. Mm. I think everybody who has a role in leadership in God's work needs a spirit of meekness. I believe it's absolutely essential. Len, you had a thought for us on this. Yes, Jesus spoke. Also in Matthew 5, he said, Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now this, of course, is completely contrary to the way of the world. It's an example of meekness. Now it's all very well to say something. It's another thing to demonstrate it, to practice it. (laughs) And I was just thinking of examples in Jesus' life while here on earth, uh, how he demonstrated his own meekness. Um, You know, the Jews were constantly harassing Jesus. That's the Jewish leadership. Yes. They were trying to trip him up no matter what. And he never retaliated. He simply diverted their thinking to another way. For example, they thought they had him. They, they said, is it, is it right to give taxes to Caesar? <laughs> now, if yes. he says no, will he be in trouble with the Roman overlords? And if he said yes, then he was in trouble with, um, with his own people because they hated the Romans. 
But you notice he diverted it and he said, well, could somebody bring me a coin? Whose image is on this? Let's seize it. And then he made a blanket statement. Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar and unto God the things which are God's. Jesus demonstrated his own meekness. However, I want to say that with meekness comes confidence. Yes. I've watched some YouTube um, videos of some kung fu fighters or somebody. They just look to be ordinary people and they get harassed and they don't they don't um, retaliate. Retaliate's the word. Yes, thank you. <laughs> they don't retaliate until the very last moment, and then the aggressor is sorry for what they've done because they get beaten up. However, the first part is the bit I want to focus on because they are confident. They know who they are. They yes. They recognise their own abilities. There's no need to retaliate until in their case, till the last moment. That's Jesus a good point. never retaliated because mm. he knew who he was. He didn't need to prove himself. Mm. And this is part, I, I think, also of um, what I would call true meekness. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. That's very true. In Isaiah 53, 7, I'm not going to read it. I'll quote it. Basically, it says that as the sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Mm. Um, it's referring to what actually took place when Christ was on trial. But prior to that, in Matthew 26, verse 51 to verse 54, it um, gives us the experience of Judas leading the priests and rulers and the mob to arrest Jesus and take him before um, Annas. And basically what happened there is that the angel of the Lord came down and, uh, as it says, the angel withdrew and the light faded away. Jesus had opportunity to escape, but he remained calm and self-possessed. Here is an example to me, and I guess to all of us, of meekness in action. Christ could have done something about the situation. In fact, did he not say uh, in another one of the Gospels, he said, don't you realise that if necessary, I could ask for 12 legions of angels and they would come and rescue me. But if I did that, uh, the scriptures would not be fulfilled. I think that's one of the greatest examples of true meekness, possessing the power to change the situation but not doing anything about it. But in verse 63 of Matthew 26, it talks about how he remained silent. Panel, do you think what you said, Len, I think has really got me thinking. Um, you've got the power to change the situation and yet you choose not to. Why did Christ not say anything? Um, I mean, can I put it this way? If he had said something, would it have really changed the situation as far as what they were intending to do? Or would it have still been the same as remaining silent? What, uh, what, uh, what I believe here uh, in Jesus' case, and I believe that should be applying each one of our case, you know, the, the, in the Christendom. Yeah. We need to understand and see the destination uh, we where God uh, called us. Uh, you know, Abraham said that uh, we are only just, you know, going through this uh, life. It's like a, yeah, sure. a 
peregrine. But if yeah. we understand the destination, then the way we act again, it's different because sometimes we need to hold back some of the reactions which we may have. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you say, yep. hey, this is, Jesus said exactly the same thing. Don't you think that I could, I could, you know, ask the father or order, but yes. what was his plan? What was his, his plan was that he came here to save. Yes. To save, to fulfill the plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the role in our case, uh, this attribute, you know, meekness. And you pointed out a bit early in the leadership, people with the, with that responsibility to guide even other people, how important is to understand that destination, to understand where you are. Apostle Paul says, I fight myself because I know the target, you know, uh, yes. not that yeah. I, I just fa- fight in here, left and right, whatever is chaotically. Now yes. I have a, a target and our target should be all to be with God for eternity and as many people as possible. And yep. then that's one of the things where we need to work towards meekness yes. because it's a, it's a process. As I said earlier, it's mm. a process. Of course, depends on relationship with God, but it's a process. Mm, sure. Len, you had a thought on this one too. Yes, Jesus had the power to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to give the blind their sight back again. There at uh, Gethsemane, when he was arrested, he had the power to blast, if you like, those captors into infinity, if you like. However, he never exerted his the power that he had. And even in saying, don't you think it's possible that I can ask the Father and he'll send uh, 12, 12 legions of angels. Even that was a statement of meekness. However, the supreme example of his meekness, he was a ruler of the universe in heaven before he came down to this earth. And in demonstrating his meekness, he forsook all that lived as a man and eventually died on our behalves, mm. isn't that the, the greatest demonstration of love and meekness there is possible? I believe so, uh, uh, Lynn, for sure. Um, Will, you had a thought on this one too. I think uh, Len said it all, but let's ask the Apostle Peter the question that you asked, why did he remain silent? The Apostle Peter answers that in 1 Peter 2, verse 23. He uses Jesus as a model. He says, when they hurled (laughs) insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. There's the secret. In the same way, we don't remain silent just because we can't think of anything to say. Jesus did not remain silent because of loss of words. Rather, like him, we remain silent because God is working on our behalf. Yes. Will vindicate us. For sure. Jerry? I think that we haven't uh, touched on this yet, but there are some um, 
examples of people in our own time who I think have demonstrated that, that uh, quality. And uh, I'm thinking about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Yes. You know, nonviolent resistance. How um, he was he was provoked constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you know, the history of uh, what happened there. And yet um, he remained in charge. And that's, you know, that, that is a sign of strength. If uh, under such provocation you can keep it together, stay meek and humble, uh, it shows you the strength that there is in meekness. Uh, yeah. Mahatma Gandhi, I'm sure yeah. there are others. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to put these people on a pedestal. Jesus is, is the ultimate example yes. of meekness. Mm. But um, uh, it has a very practical um, application in our lives as well, must have. Yeah, I, I believe so. Jerry, while you're on the subject, um, Will touched on First Peter 2, verse 23, yeah. but prior to that in a couple of verses, he is addressing people who are slaves and mm-hmm. addressing sometimes the treatment that they have dished out to them by their masters. Would you like to comment on that for us? Yeah, just a few verses there from First Peter chapter 2, verses 18, 18 to 20. He says, uh, servants... Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrong, wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Absolutely. So, uh, um, yeah, I think one of the most important uh, parts of these few verses is in verse 19 where it says, For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief and suffering wrongfully. Um, that's where it's we, at. Mm. That's where it's at, really. I mean, if, mm. if you suffer because of your own stupidity or something that you've done that is clearly not right, well, that's a whole different situation, yeah. but uh, um, and I mean, it, it's it's a big call, isn't it? A yeah. big call. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. There's been a lot of injustice over the years, hasn't there? Uh, mm. People who have been enslaved by their masters and have suffered immensely. Um, it's a big call to to uh, not retaliate. Very hard. Very hard. Very hard indeed. I, I keep on asking myself, how, what would you do in that yes. situation? Yes, I've often asked myself the same question, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Len, uh, in closing our study for today, David wrote a psalm, Psalm 62, uh, verses 1 and 5 I found particularly interesting. I wonder if you could just share that with us and also a quotation that may help us a little bit in our, as we start to bring together um, our study for today. Okay, Psalm 62 verse 1 says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Then in verse 5 is an exhortation to others. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. Now I'll tell you what David didn't say. What is that? my soul finds rest or peace in my strength. He didn't say my soul finds rest in my popularity. 
Mm -hmm. myself, I interest in my abilities or my goodwill or whatever it is. Mm. He's not looking to himself. He finds rest or peace or his confidence in God alone. And I'd like to say this. We've been talking about meekness today. And I'd like to say then that meekness is a godly attribute. Yes. It's something which God has demonstrated. Uh, We talked about Jesus. He demonstrated it. The Father demonstrated it in his patience with the with the Israelites, his patience with us. Meekness is a godly attribute. Now I'd like to read a little statement here. It comes from the book The Desire of Ages and says, The difficulties we have to encounter may be very much lessened by that meekness which hides itself in Christ. Hmm. The highest evidence of nobility in a Christian is self-control. He who under abuse or cruelty fails to maintain a calm and trustful spirit robs God of his right to reveal in him his own perfection of character which basically supports what I said before. Yes. Meekness is a godly attribute. Yeah, absolutely. Christ was our ultimate example. He had power to change the situation. I'm summarising now briefly through his earthly life, but he chose to follow God's will in everything. Maybe there's something in there for all of us as panel and also as listeners. In following God's will, you will inevitably become meek. You can't help but be become any other way but as you said nick i think earlier on in the study um it's the walk with the lord the daily walk with the lord that brings you to this particular situation um the challenge i'd like to leave with us today is may we earnestly pray for the holy spirit to endow us with meekness because we've talked about the fact that it is a process it takes time it's not something that comes to us straight away but Have you ever thought about the fruits of the Spirit? Uh, One of them is meekness, as we all know. The fruits of the Spirit don't all come to you at once. You don't suddenly receive all nine of them when you receive the Holy Spirit. As you surrender yourself to the Lord day by day, I believe um, the fruits of the Spirit grow, they develop, they become more prominent. And uh, I think that that's important so that whatever the crucible we may experience, I like what Job said in Job 23, verse 11. We shall come forth as gold. At the end of it all, through it all, despite all the troubles and trials that we've gone through, when we see Jesus face to face, we will know that we are like him because we have been through the crucible. And certainly meekness is a vital characteristic of um, helping us to be like Jesus. And I believe that that's something I would like to leave as a challenge for us as a panel, and also for those who are listening to this program today. You can't buy meekness, but as you develop your relationship with Jesus, you will become meek. You will become like him. I wonder, Will, if you would close for us with prayer. Thanks. Certainly. Lord, under the influence of your spirit, we've become painfully aware of our need of the holy nature of Jesus. Mm his humility in life's challenges, 
his meekness in trial, even his earthly dependence on his heavenly Father for a victory against evil. Yes. We confess that we fall very short of heaven's ideal, and we pray for your mercy and power. Help us. Help us to set ourselves aside for the service and the honor of our God, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for your participation today. I believe uh, this was a kind of a Bible study which will uh, live with that thought, you know, in the minds of everybody that we should ask ourselves, how is our life? How we express our faith in God? Are we expressing this uh, characteristic of meekness? Do people see that in us? Or we need to force ourselves to be meek? We are inviting you, my dear friend, to join us again because uh, next time we are going to look into another beautiful study waiting in the crucible. Now, we are still under this topic of in the crucible with Christ because everything what we do in life as a Christian is because of Jesus. We can't do nothing without Jesus. We are inviting you to join us again next time. But until then, may God bless you. Have a wonderful walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. And may everyone around you see the meekness and the presence of God in your life.